0: Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey, as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self-hatred For a chance at belief? Hello everyone and welcome to episode 15 of the lovable podcast. This week we are reading and discussing week 14 of lovable's companion book. Specifically we're going to talk about all the problems caused for us emotionally and relationally when we think of guilt and shame as the same thing and we're going to talk about how understanding the difference between the two can lead to a redemptive life rather than a hidden life. Before we get into this week's episode, though, just a reminder, these podcasts are being recorded every Wednesday morning uh, at 9 o'clock Central Time, that's Chicago Time, on Facebook Live. Um, if you want to join us at that time every week, you can go to my Facebook page, which is uh, Dr. Kelly Flanagan is the name of the page, at 9 o'clock, and you'll be able to to listen in or contribute whatever you want to do. If you want a reminder on Wednesday mornings to tune in, or if you uh, would like to know when a new podcast episode or blog post is published, make sure you're subscribed to my weekly newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday morning. You uh, you can do that by going uh, to drkellyflanagan.com. That's kellyflanagan.com, And uh, you can sign up in the right sidebar. You'll get just the one weekly email, uh, but you'll also right away as an introduction get a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. And a free sample of Lovable. So lots of good stuff there. Sign up. We'd love to have you join our little community. And remember, this podcast is meant to cultivate and deepen the experiences that will already be happening within you as you read Lovable. So if you still need to pick up a copy of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available in paperback and digital and audio. You can get it wherever you like to buy books. Um, Okay, so let's. I think that's about it. Let's talk about the life-changing difference between guilt and shame, the difference between making a mistake and being a mistake. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Hello, Facebook Live. It's wonderful to be here with you lovely people again, recording the 15th episode of the Lovable podcast. Today, we're going to be reading and discussing week 14 of Lovable's companion book, which is entitled The Life-Changing Difference Between Shame and Guilt. These are two words that are often used interchangeably, and until we start using them correctly, it's almost impossible to embrace our worthiness and tell a redemptive story with our life. So this week, we're gonna set the record straight about those two words. Before we get into this next chapter though, let's hear from you about your experiences so far. Whether you're still going through the first few practices, which is totally fine, uh, or if you're focused right now uh, more on recent practices, uh, wherever you're at, listening for the Voice of Grace, as we've been discussing recently, or maybe you're back um, and you're creating space and stillness and practicing breathing. That's fine. Love to hear your experiences and insights. So while you are thinking about what you want to share, uh, I thought I'd share with you what happened to me last week. Literally, what? Okay, when you say literally, it has to actually be literal, right? So uh, literally five hours after we got done recording the podcast. Um And uh, so a great example of I think what we were talking about last week, we were talking about how there's so much pressure um, internally from our sense of shame, externally sometimes from people to hide the ways that we are sort of unique and odd and quirky, maybe flawed, um, and, and pressure to sort of conform to in order to belong. And, uh, and what we were talking about last week was listening for the grace of the voice of grace that says, uh, yeah, you've got this thing about you, this brokenness, this flaw, this wound, this quirkiness, and you are beautiful and beloved. So five hours after we got done recording, my daughter got home uh, from school. It had been pajama day at school for her. Um, and last Wednesday, her brothers were in tech week for their musical. So she was home. We were home together. This is a rare thing. So we we're chatting and, um, and she, she confessed to me in sadness, she said people made fun of my pajamas today. And she chose to wear, to her credit, their, their pajamas, but it just looks like a long flowing princess robe, right? Pink and purple and shining and shimmering and um, and people made fun of it. It stood out. Um, it wasn't the standard fare and, uh, and we got to talking about that and I just had this recording last week um, of last week's episode. And, and so over the course of our conversation, we talked about um, how important it is to um, be the person that, that we are um, and to um, allow sort of all of our quirks and oddness and whatever to come out. Just the way it's supposed to be, um, and to try not to worry too much about how other people react to that, um, and to hopefully, you know, at the end of the conversation, say, "Hey, would you wear would you wear the pajamas again if you had a choice?" and and for her to be able to smile and go, "You know, I would. I I I would definitely do it again." Um, and that's what I want to encourage in her, and it's what I want to encourage in all of us, and I think it's what the voice of grace encourages, um, is that we embrace who we are and that we live it out, and then the people who go, "I like your pajamas. I dig those." I dig the courage that you showed in wearing those pajamas. Those are the people that we'll belong to. Um, but until we embrace our worthiness and wear the pajamas that we love, <laughs> if, if we want to extend the metaphor, um, then uh, it's hard to find the people that, that really want to embrace us for who we are. The other thing that was sort of uh, coincidental, serendipitous last week, someone said to me later in the week, totally unrelated conversation. Somebody said to me, um, and not a, not a client thing, This was elsewhere, Um, somebody said to me, I'd rather be strange and happy uh, than normal and miserable. And I thought that pretty much sums up um, our last episode. I'd rather be strange and be able to trust that I'm worthy amidst my strangeness um, than to be uh, looking awfully normal and awfully um, uh, blended in and and feel miserable trying to suppress that. So, um, yeah, so I thought that was a good summary for last week. Heather writes, I was surprised by how few items I had to my list, to the point where I thought I was wrong by not having more moments to add to. But really, it's just a reminder. Maybe I need to pay better attention, or maybe I'm doing it right to finish that last sentence. So Heather, you're referring to the practice from last week, uh, where we got very specific, and we talked about um, sitting down and listing the parts of us that we tend to suppress and hide um, because we think that they're a little bit too off the beaten track, a little bit too odd, quirky, uh, too flawed. Um, and to be to, to begin to list those and just create a space around that list to hear the voice of grace say, uh, yeah, that is true. That is part of you and, and you're beautiful and beloved, even in the midst of that. And so Heather, I appreciate that reflection that there wasn't a whole lot to put on that list. Um, and Heather, I think we, we do hope that if, if, say, you were to go through this year all over again next year, right, that you would come to this practice next year uh, and you would say, wow, my list is way shorter than it was last year. I'm not hiding nearly as much as I used to. And so I think, I think that's an affirmation of, of you um, and also of what begins to happen as we embrace our worthiness. Uh, we, we begin to hide less and less of the really good stuff about who we are. Deb W. writes, maybe it's coming with age, but the older I get, the less I find the need to hide quirks and all. Heather writes, agree with Deb, as I and others around me have gotten more real um, with age, I think is what you're saying, Heather. Um, Yeah, part of that, I think, is that, and, and I've had this conversation multiple times this week, it requires so much energy to suppress who we are, to hide it. Um, I tell the story in Lovable of uh, February of 2004, walking out of my apartment and just leaning my head against the wall and going, I can't do this for one more day. Um, so perhaps as we get older and we age and we have less energy, we just don't have the energy <laughs> to, uh, to keep that facade working at full strength. Um, and so it, it maybe aging in some ways encourages the process of letting go of our false self and embracing our true self. Mike writes, agreed, aging brings a lower energy level, so I don't have the energy to try and maintain appearances. Yeah. yep. And maybe that maybe that's why aging ushers us into some of this second half as Richard Rohr calls it second half of life stuff, letting go of the false self and embracing the true self because if you don't have the energy to maintain your false self, um, but you're not doing the work of embracing your true self, that is an intensely vulnerable place to be. The facade is down. Yeah, I'm still not, as Brenda said, oddly comfortable being me, oddly happy being me. Um, so it almost, the, the, the loss of energy required to in- invest in the false self almost requires that we shift our energy towards embracing ourselves. Um, so but a blessing of, of aging. <laughs> Jennifer writes, I think life teaches us to surrender often, including what is false. Um, boy. That's so true, Jennifer. And Richard Rohr talks about this transition to the second half of life where you go from building your false self to letting it go and embracing your true self that the only experiences that can really trigger that transition are great suffering or great love. Mm -hmm. Um, And so both of those, both suffering and love are experiences which lead us to surrender um, and to surrendering the false self in particular. So I appreciate that, that contribution. Thank you. Uh, Jason writes, I have struggled with being odd all my life. Every day I have a hard time interacting with people. Now I recently found out my three-year-old son is autistic. Need to figure out how to keep him from, and your your comment is cut off, Jason, but I think we can sort of anticipate where you're going. Um, I, uh, I gave a talk last October, and uh, one of the sort of, main points of the talk is that as parents, we worry from our wounds, right? If you are worried about something in particular for your kid, it's probably because you have a root, a wound around that area that you're trying to prevent for your kids. And so, Jason, I think what you're saying is, you know, I've sort of felt on the margins my whole life, and here now my son is diagnosed with this diagnosis, this condition that um, like in a way places him on the margins, and I don't want him to have to um, experience the wounding of that that I did. Um, and it makes me a little bit emotional, honestly, Jason, to, to think about the ways that y- your son, that your own experiences of loneliness and not belonging and being odd, maybe, will be redeemed um, in the way that you parent your son and making sure that he knows he has a place to belong, um, that he knows that his the things that make him a little different don't make him less worthy. Um, you get to redeem that with him. that is a beautiful thing. Shelly writes, I am in tears. We are discovering my oldest son may have undiagnosed high-functioning autism. I felt your words were meant for me. Shelly, I'm so glad that you tuned in today. The irony that um, uh, a kid diagnosed on the autistic spectrum um, is in the best hands possible um, when they are in the hands of parents who didn't always feel accepted themselves know what it's like to feel like they're on the margins, um, that your, your sense of empathy will guide you as a parent um, is a tremendous gift to your child. So it feels like it all gets redeemed if we give it a chance. Brenda writes, I also have become oddly more happy being me recently. <laughs> um, Brenda, I love the way you succinctly put things sometimes. I also have become oddly more happy being me. Brenda writes, ironically, I see my biggest flaw as saying or not saying the right words. Laugh out loud. <laughs> that is ironic, Brenda, um, because I, I think you have a gift uh, for saying just the right words. And um, it reminds me, I was talking to a friend and I was talking about a series of talks I gave last October and how I was sort of, uh, I, I'd seen the promo for the talks and the promo sounded like there was going to be a pretty great guy coming to talk. And, and she said, she said, well, Kelly, they can promote you any any way they want to. You're just going to go tell them what you know. Um, and it was like, oh, yeah, that's all I have to do. I just have to say what I know, and people get to decide what they want to do with that, and I don't have to take on any, any burden about that. Um, and it created a real sense of ease in me. So, Brenda, I'd say you have a gift, and uh, just let yourself... Let yourself say what's on your mind, and let other people decide if they're the right words or not, and try not to be too burdened by their decision. Karen writes, "I have learned to care less what other people think of me. If people don't like me as I am, I have learned how to let them go, and find those who will love and accept me for who I really am." Yeah, and you know, and we're gonna get we're gonna get into all this today. Um, this idea that when we can trust that we are with somebody who accepts us exactly as we are, somehow we become more open to receiving um, feedback, constructive criticism from them because we trust that their regard for us is intact, regardless of um, maybe advice or feedback they have for us or challenges. So um, I think that was something I said at the beginning of a podcast episode a couple weeks ago, a friend who was out visiting said, Kelly, your podcast stinks. You need to do this. And it was a fun conversation because I know how much he loves me. I know that's not going away. Um, and that he was truly just uh, just challenging me and giving me good advice. And so we can receive that within, when we know we're worthy and uh, when other, when we can trust other people know we're worthy as well. Kelly writes, The mantra I adopted a few years ago is live out loud. It has served me well and is continuing to do so. I am a few episodes behind everyone, but I enjoy hearing the podcast. Um, Kelly, thanks for uh, tuning in and contributing that, even though you're a little behind, because it's exactly what a lot of people need to hear today. Live out loud, I love it. Jason writes, "Doesn't it complicate work though? We still have to be expected to mold who we are to our jobs." Yeah, back when we were doing courtyard conversations with Untangled, and we were having small groups of people get together to discuss ideas that eventually went into Lovable. Um, this was something that came up consistently. Should you expect to be your true self at work? Should you expect to find a place of belonging at work? And while that's ideal, and uh, and I think it's okay to not stop. Um, hoping for and looking for um, a place of employment where you can be your true self the reality is sometimes um you know i i write at the end of lovable that i thought the book was going to be about getting rid of your ego and your false self and uh and and later realized that that's not what it was at all that at times we need to be able to have um uh, a certain facade that we present to the world. The situation calls for it, <laughs> and and that's okay. But we want to be in charge of it. We want we want to be in charge of the this the the facade or the ego, not have it be in charge of us. So um, sometimes workplaces are places that you have to do that. Um, that's for sure. Heather writes. I gave up trying to hide the real me at work. Now my coworkers get the full brunt of my awesomeness. I love it, Heather. <laughs> um, yeah, and there are some workplaces where we assume it, the workplace can't handle right um, who we are, but we're not giving it enough credit. Um, and the, the the workplace actually can handle the full brunt of our awesomeness if we give it a chance. So uh, test the test the edges and the boundaries of that is is uh, Heather's message. Melinda writes, one of the biggest transformations I've gone through happened in the past few years when I truly began to have my own back. I didn't realize the degree to which I'd abandoned myself prior to that. Um, Melinda, though that's a powerful word, the extent to which I've abandoned myself. That theme, though I never say it that way in lovable or so far in this podcast, is, is core to what we're talking about here. We're talking about the little one inside of us that began to take on shame in our lives, And then we said, oh, I need to push that little one down aside, hide him or her. Um, He or she isn't good enough. I need to go out and build a self that is more acceptable to the world. And we abandon that little one. Um, And is it any wonder we end up feeling terribly lonely um, and not good enough? And so this process that we're going through is about embracing that little one again, um, reversing the abandonment, reconnecting with with who we were before we thought we weren't uh, enough. So I appreciate that, that word put to it because it does capture the experience for so many people. So another conversation that's already helpful to me um, and uh, I'm sure is gonna be helpful to a lot of people out there. Thank you everybody for contributing to it. Um, I wanna move into to this week's reading, but before we do, um, I thought what I'd do to set it up is read a letter that I wrote to my kids and include it in Lovable. Um, And without mentioning the word shame and guilt in this letter, um, I think it begins to distinguish between these two words, shame and guilt. Um, So it can be found on page 47 of Lovable, it's entitled Dear Little Ones, You Are Enough No Matter What. So I'll go ahead and read that now. Dear Little Ones, I'm sitting in a parking lot as I write this. On one side of the parking lot is a playground, where kids are laughing and playing. On the other side of the parking lot is a transitional living unit for troubled youth, where kids are hurting and struggling. On one side, the dream of every parent. On the other side, the fear of every parent. I've often wondered why the county would put this facility next to a park. But as I sit here today, the message seems clear. The line between our brightest dreams and our darkest fears is a fine one, isn't it? Finer than the width of this parking lot. Little ones, what you do matters. Each and every choice has a creative potential as powerful as the force that hung the stars and spun the planets. So the fearful part of me wants to give you one more lecture about the importance of your choices, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I want to tell you about who you are regardless of the choices you make. Regardless of which side of the street you end up on, I want you to know your core is untarnished, your center is unaltered, your heart is unblemished, your spark is still burning, and your original identity is uncorrupted. Little ones, regardless of your choices, I want you to know you are worthy you are enough. On the day you bring home your first A, and on the day you bring home your first F. On the day you make the game-winning shot, and on the day you get cut from the team. On the day you sit at the cool kids table, and on the day you eat lunch with your loneliness. On the day you get a standing ovation, and on the day you freeze up and forget your lines. You are enough. On the day you resist peer pressure, and on the day you give in on the day you enter college and on the day you enter rehab, on the day you get your first promotion and on the day you get your first pink slip, on the day you run a triathlon and on the day of your diagnosis, you are enough. On the day you were born, you were enough. And on the day you die, you will be enough, regardless of what comes in between. Little ones, I'm not saying you're free from consequences, but I am telling you this. While many poor choices do have a consequence, most poor choices are already a consequence the consequence of doubting our worthiness. The task of our lives is to simply rest into the truth of our worthiness and to walk the path of who we already are. So little ones, when you've lost your way and you wish you could do something impossible like rewind time, remember this. There is one thing that is always possible. It is always possible to return to the center of who you are. You will find there the truth of your worthiness whispered upon the tongue of grace and it will quite simply never steer you wrong. To my beloved, Daddy. So, I think that's an introduction that begins to set up the difference between making mistakes and being a mistake. And that's what this week's content is all about. So, why don't we get into this week's reading? Week 14, the life changing difference between shame and guilt. On a Friday morning, my daughter Caitlin, who was a three year old at the time, was drawing me a picture with a colored pencil. Her face was screwed up with concentration, nose crinkled, dimples lopsided. She let out a big, dramatic sigh, and I said, and she said, I made a mistake, I need to erase it. I tried not to laugh as I looked at the random loops and swirls of abstract toddlerhood and wondered to myself, honey, how can chaos contain mistakes? But I fetched an eraser anyway, and she started to rub. However, colored pencil doesn't erase, it smudges. So she rubbed harder, and the mistake got worse, and worse. And worse. She flung down her pencil and began to tear the paper to shreds. I don't think my daughter was feeling ashamed about her drawing. I think she was being a three-year-old. Yet, on a Friday morning, she illustrated the way shame destroys us. Shame is like the crummy pencil eraser of life. It mires us in an endless hopeless effort to erase our mistakes, and it tears up our lives in the process. Shame whispers, convincing us our mistakes and shortcomings and failures and faults are who we are. It convinces us we need to erase our mistakes and our mess if we are to be worthy of love and belonging. So we spend our life mired in depressive regrets about words and actions and days and years we wish we could take back. Or we spend our nights in anxious rumination about how everyone reacted when we said this or did that. We quietly beat ourselves up and wish for a do-over. But the truth is, our mistakes are written in the colored pencil of time. Time can't be reversed, and our mistakes can't be erased. There are no do-overs. Yet shame keeps us stuck in this endless cycle of hopeless attempts to erase or hide our history and ourselves. It immobilizes us. It shuts us down. And in doing so, it can destroy a life, one paralyzed day at a time. But there is another way. The way out of our shame is not to erase our mistakes. The way out of our shame is to feel guilty about them. Guilt is shame redeemed by grace. Shame tells us we are lousy. Guilt tells us we did something lousy. Shame whispers, your mistakes define you. But guilt proclaims, we are defined by redemption, not by transgression. Whereas shame seeks to hide the past, guilt claims the past. Shame says you are corrupt and rotten and weak and powerless and you should hide because anything you do will be another failure. But guilt says, yeah, I messed up. I'm guilty as charged, but my mess doesn't define me. And because it doesn't define me, I can do something different now. Shame looks backward interminably. Guilt glances backward and then moves forward. Shame coerces us into passivity. Guilt propels us into action. Shame buries our mistakes. Guilt apologizes for them. Shame disconnects us from people. Guilt propels us into the arms of people. Shame is a lie we swallow. Guilt is the truth we tell. Shame is the death of us. Guilt is the beginning of a resurrection. As Caitlin began to sink to the floor on the verge of a meltdown, I suggested, instead of erasing that picture, how about you draw me another one? She stopped mid-tantrum, crumpled paper in hand, and a smile evened out her dimples a bit. I pointed at her big stack of blank papers. You can draw me a bunch of new ones. I wonder if redemptive guilt is really just the voice of grace, whispering quietly to us. Hush, little one, it says. Quit trying so hard to erase and hide the past. You're learning and growing, and every time you mess up and try again, let's rejoice. So put that eraser down, own your mistakes, and let's try again, even if it's a holy mess. Caitlin looked at me, bounced to her feet, and attacked a new blank page with abandon. In life, we can choose to listen to our shame, we can focus on all our mistakes, and we can get hopelessly bogged down in trying to analyze them, erase them, justify them, or hide them. Or we can approach every day like a new sheet of paper. The size of the stack is different for each of us, of course. Our remaining days are all differently numbered, but if we have only a single page on our stack, only one day remaining to live, we have one blank page on which to draw a new redemptive picture of our life. We can draw pictures of courage and vulnerability, of apology and forgiveness, of love and sacrifice, of passion and purpose. Today is a new day. Today is your blank page. Today is pregnant with the possibility of a new picture, a redemptive event, a beautiful love. What will you do with today's blank page? So I'd love to hear your reactions to this week's reading. Um, do you agree with the distinction? Do you disagree with it? Uh, can you recall times when you felt shame, but in hindsight, maybe just a little bit of guilt and redemption would have been totally okay? Um, and while you're thinking about that, I thought I'd give you two quick examples of a time where I acted from shame and the time I acted from guilt. Uh, the time I acted from shame that comes to mind, I was in the third grade. Um, uh, I had not had this memory in years, and then I was giving an interview I think last September and it came to mind. Um, In third grade, I got home from school one day, opened up my book bag, and I had accidentally we had uh, sort of passed all of our homework for the day forward, and I had accidentally gotten one girl's homework for the day, folded into my papers to take home. And I felt so bad about having made a mistake and so afraid of getting in trouble. that I just couldn't bring myself to think of going back to class and saying, Hey, I messed up. Uh, here's Diana. Her name is Diane. Diana, if you're out there (laughs) listening by any chance, um, Diana, here's Diana's paper. Uh, I remember her name still. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't get to a guilt place. I could only stay at a shame place that, that this was, this was a horrible thing I had done and it meant the worst thing about me. So I, we were living in a a trailer at the time and, uh, a trailer has like a, a liner around the bottom of it to hide the wheels and the undercarriage. And I took that paper and I stuffed it underneath the, the trailer, and it's probably sitting there to this day. Um, because shame causes us to want to hide. Um, it says the mistake you are a mistake, um, and people will treat you that way if you reveal uh, the mistakes you've made. Uh, so, Diana, I'm sorry. Um, yesterday, um, I I'm going to speak in in April. Uh, to a congregation in in Ashburn, Virginia called Crossroads United Methodist Church. And uh, by the way, it's a public event. Uh, It's April 15th. I'm speaking um, at both morning services, uh, two different talks, one on worthiness and one on belonging. So if you're in the neighborhood, um, I know the folks at Crossroads would love to have you stop in. Um, And uh, and their adult and family ministry director called me to talk about promoting the talk. Um, Called me last Wednesday. Um, and I missed the voicemail. I don't know how I didn't catch it, but I missed it, and uh, and she called again yesterday and said, hey, uh, I, I tried to reach out to you last week, and you, I know you're busy, and now uh, she's very, um, very gracious about it, um, but my instant reaction was, was to go to that shame place, like, oh my gosh. Um, They're going to think i'm unreliable you know um but really what it was was um i want i want to appear perfect to these people so so they don't have any reason to 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 doubt me um and but instantly was able to kind of shift this time and go dude you made a mistake um apologize move on (laughs) um and uh, led to actually a really great conversation with her about um how we are both quite imperfect so um, led to connection in the long run. Um, so the, to me, that's the difference. I made a mistake versus I am a mistake. And, uh, it's a, to me, it's a crucial difference because it gives us that, that shift gives us a chance to now say, oh, cause I made a mistake. I don't have to hide this. I can just go about repairing it, fixing it, redeeming it, forgiving myself and moving on if that's what needs to happen. Um, and, uh, and so it sort of, it, it, it frees our story up for some really good things. Deb writes I have tried to live by the mantra when you know better you do better for myself and others as I got older and started to drop the facade it allowed me to cut myself some slack um, yeah the the standard that we hold ourselves to sometimes um, and they you know it, it can be said in a lot of ways cut yourself some slack is a great way to say it um, and the word guilt I think because it's been so fused with the word shame, has this really negative connotation. But these days I experience guilt as a very freeing word. Guilt is a word that, that allows me to cut myself some slack and say, yeah, you made a mistake, guilty as charged. Apologize, go fix it, do something different. Um, but it's, it's a word that, that is actually sort of connected with a sense of grace for, for me and for others. So um, I think we wanna move towards that as we as we grow older. Brenda writes, I love your distinction between shame and guilt. I read ahead this week, so I've shared it with others multiple times this week. Um, oh, that's fantastic, Brenda. And I think, Brenda, last week, weren't you saying that you, you tried to read ahead and were giving yourself some grace for not having done so? Um, glad you were able to, to get into the reading this week and already start to share that with people. Um, I know, and I was talking with this uh, um, ministry director this morning, uh, who we finally did get a chance to connect. And um, particularly, I think, for people... Um, in religious context, I think distinguishing those words is so important. Um, in my faith tradition, with, uh, when you, you look at the way, oftentimes, um, scripture, uh, biblical scripture is interpreted, um, those words are often used interchangeably. And so uh, it's really important to get in there right away and start to distinguish between the two. Um, and, and to by distinguishing between those two words, start to illustrate the, the, that it's not just semantics here. I am a mistake versus I made a mistake is not just semantics, it's, uh, it's a game changer. Deb W writes, shame makes us want to hide and stay there. Guilt leads us to grace and forgiveness. Thanks so much. Yep. And if we can keep them distinct, because oftentimes a sense of you can start with a sense of guilt, oh, I made a mistake, but shame, I mean, shame will seize on that moment and on that opportunity every time to try to transition you into I am a mistake right? But if we can stay there, I made a mistake. And I'm beautiful and beloved. (laughs) Then, as a beautiful and beloved person, we can go out into the world and, and do something about that mistake. Dev F writes, I agree. I never thought guilt would be a helpful thing. Laugh out loud. I find the sooner I address the issue, the sooner I am back in a state of peace. Boy, isn't that a powerful thing to begin to learn? To have that experience of, um, actually um, I um, I re- reclaim a sense of peace um, and I get more con- more reconnected with my sense of worthiness when I can apologize when I can correct my mistakes and so why not go do it right now Why wait why put that off um, and uh, and sometimes the answer is because it won't be received well people won't take it People won't, won't, won't receive the, your effort to, to correct a mistake or so on. In which case, the, the, the work of um, embracing our guilt rather than our shame shifts to, then I have to forgive myself. Okay, I have to forgive myself for having done that. I've done the best I can to correct it, and now I move on. Molly writes, focusing on guilt instead of shame also gives us the dignity to take responsibility for what we have done and move on. That's, yeah, that's it, Molly. Um, I, love that. I love that word too, the dignity to take responsibility for what we have done. It's empowering, it's dignifying, um, and uh, it's redeeming uh, for, for us and for, for everyone involved if they will agree to participate in the redemption. So, and then we get to, go, to move on and, and uh, can go back to acting from our worthiness, as I talked about in that letter to my kids. So, All right, so let's take this discussion now and make it just a little, even a little more practical for, for this week by getting into this week's practice. I'll go ahead and read that now week 14 practice last week we pushed back against the voice of shame by embracing our quirks and finding our worthiest identity in them instead of hiding them this week we're going to push back against our shame in an even more radical way while shame tells us our mistakes define who we are anchoring us in painful and passive regret the voice of grace is instead whispering of redemption your mistakes don't define you your capacity for redemption does this week make a list of your mistakes (laughs) go slowly Record whatever comes to mind regardless of how small or inconsequential it seems. Write down the big ones too, the ones which are painful to even recall. Over the first couple of days of this week, continue to add to your list. Identify at least 10. If you think of more than 20, record the 20 that are most important to you and then stop there. This week is not about condemning yourself. It's about fully embodying your most redemptive self. Once your list is complete, place them in order. From the easiest and most feasible to redeem, to the most complicated or seemingly impossible to redeem. Redemption may include righting a wrong, issuing an apology, or seeking resolution where none existed. Once again, imagine yourself as the protagonist in your own story. Imagine watching yourself on the silver screen of your own life, wrestling with how to do something new today about an old mistake or regret. What would you want the character to do? Begin with the easiest easiest item on your list, but be careful. This redemption thing can get addictive. You might want to redeem something else on your list as well. If so, go for it. This exercise does not need to end at the end of this week. In fact, I hope it does not. Start to work your way upward to the more difficult mistakes and regrets to redeem. Tell a redemptive story with your life now. I would, again, love to hear your reactions to this exercise. Um, And while you're thinking about what you want to say, I'll tell you that I thought of our conversation several weeks ago. As I, was, as I was preparing this, um, this reading for this week, I, I thought about our conversation several weeks ago when we were talking about how life is a story, right? And it's an opportunity to live a redemptive story. And I thought about your, your incredibly thoughtful contributions. Um, that thinking of the, the practice that week was trying to imagine our life as a story and, and living it in a way that we'd want to see someone in, on a, in a movie, for instance, live it. And, and, and you guys did such a good job of saying, let's be careful here. Because a lot of expectations arise within us, um, and um, this could be just another opportunity to feel ashamed that we're not living a good enough story. Um, And I feel like this exercise sort of flirts with that again. I don't know what you guys think, Um, but I want to be very careful that this is not um, supposed to be an opportunity to, um, to, to sort of beat yourself up all over again. Um, it's not meant to be, it's not intended to be something that sets you up to fail and you go, Oh my gosh, I wanted to, I wanted to apologize to this person and I didn't do it this week. Um, it's okay. It's okay. Um, you can, you can try it, you can practice it, and then you can trust that as you grow into your sense of worthiness, as you become more and more connected with the sense of grace, the voice of grace, you, um, you're going to feel more and more comfortable, um, addressing maybe some of the mistakes that you tend to mull maul over and uh, and dwell on. You're going to be feel more and more comfortable addressing them quickly, putting them behind you, forgiving yourself, and moving on. So um, I don't want this to feel like a pressured exercise. I want it to feel something that begins to open up a process for you, a process of uh, relating to your mistakes differently, um, not from a place of shame, but from a place of, of uh, good redemptive guilt. <laughs> Heather writes, you know what is interesting? Last week I looked forward to making the list. This week it bothers, scares me. Need to reflect on that. You know, these exercises are intended to progress. Um, There's a reason this exercise comes after several weeks of listening for the voice of grace. Um, Because if we don't have the voice of grace within us, reminding us that we're beautiful and beloved, reminding us that our mistakes don't define us, reminding us that we are worthy and can be redemptive about the things that we sometimes regret, um, then this, this exercise can turn into just an experiment in shame. So my encouragement to people would be, if it feels like it could become that, um, pause. Go back a couple weeks. Continue to, to practice that practice of listening for the voice of grace, and, uh, and then enter into this practice when you feel ready. Jennifer writes: I find that our imperfections make us more human and relatable. As I get better at asking for grace and forgiveness for my mistakes, I have realized that my relationships grow and get stronger. I think that's that's the beauty of it, isn't it, Jennifer? I appreciate you saying that. You know, so when I was able to to um, talk to this minister from Crossroads and just say, "Yeah, I really I botched it, and I'm sorry," and it put you in a time crunch, and she's always say, "Oh, well, and I meant to email you back here, and I'm sorry," and um, suddenly. Suddenly, belonging, right? Suddenly, kinship. Suddenly, a bunch, a bunch of people who are really mistake, mistake-ridden and flawed, getting to just be together and know that it's okay. Um, so I believe that's what this exercise is going to to cultivate, and it's why it's we're getting near the end of the months of listening, and we're going to be transitioning into belonging. Um, this exercise is going to going to open up some doors for belonging too. Emily writes, "What if your shame comes from a series of events, more of a behavior pattern than an actual incident?" Uh, yeah, you know, and, and this exercise, I mean, if you wanted to draw a parallel, I think it's step four of the 12 steps is making an inventory, <laughs> um, a personal inventory of sort of flaws and mistakes and uh, things that you want to make amends for. And usually in, in, in that event, it is a, it is a pattern. It's a, a lifelong pattern of acting in a certain way. Um, and what I'd encourage you to do is is pick specific people. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. For me, when I start to feel unsafe in a um, in an interaction with somebody, um, the the place of safety that I go to with my ego is I sort of become condescending, I smirk, I sort of act holier than thou. Now that that happens much and less frequently these days, but I could tell you. Um, and I did apologize for this recently, shortly after I did it to somebody. Um, but I could tell you a number of people over time where I've, I've done that with. And so maybe you pick one, one of those people, um, and preferably the safest one, um, the one who will be most receptive to it, and you go back and say, this is what I do when I feel unsafe and I act this way and it's, I really don't like that I do it, and I apologize, I, would you forgive me? Um, and so yeah, make it very specific. Uh, don't, don't feel like you have to, to sort of over, overdo it by reaching out to everybody. Brenda writes, yes, I read ahead, but didn't do last week's practice until nine this morning. I desire to be disciplined, balanced, and it never goes as I want, but it sort of works out. Yeah. And that's an encouragement to all of us, Brenda, that, uh, these, these practices aren't supposed to be neat and, and tidy and orderly, but they certainly become a little messy as we go through them. And it's okay to, um, to sort of, uh, put them together the way that we need to. Well, thanks again everyone for another fantastic discussion Um, we're going to wrap up the conversation here and then next week we'll be back Um, we'll be talking about week 15 of the year of listening loving and living which is called the mess will set you free uh it's it's uh derived from a blog post that i i I remember where i wrote it standing at a conference of about for creatives and starting to realize that creative people Um, what, what made them most creative was that they just embraced the mess of creativity. So, um, the mess will set you free next week. Uh, Until then, remember you are lovable mistakes and all. Thanks again for joining us on the lovable podcast. Remember this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album, Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember... You are lovable.